the Peace Theater, and now here's two demons who torment me endlessly. Those, those were like, those were the two best slates I've ever done. Oh, it's funny because <laughs> you're like super late, but that's fine. They just, that's they, always true. They were just really on the money. Uh, I don't know we're if that's a good, good or a bad omen. <laughs> hey, we're getting good at podcasting, brother. <laughs> if slates are any indication, this is going to be A plus content. Uh, <laughs> What are you uh, What are you doing on this on this Hallow's Eve? Are you at least spooky? Are you at least dressed in something for this conversation? Oh, or no? Yeah, I'm completely naked. <laughs> oh, great! That's what I was hoping. You don't you'd podcast say. naked? Usually not. Uh, usually, yeah. I, usually I cover my genitals with shame. Uh, no, no, no. See, and but I did do something spooky. I put little wings on my dick, <laughs> like bat wings. <laughs> you know, little, it's a bat. I can picture it now. Yep. Sadly, sadly, I can picture it now. <laughs> happy Halloween! Uh, hey, Although happy we're recording Halloween. on Halloween, but it's not—it's uh, trick or treat. It's not um, Halloween right now when you're listening to this. I'm, I'm going to tell you what scares the shit out of me, though. Just on the theme, what scares the shit out of me is some kid knocking at my door, and me having absolutely no plan for what to give that child today. <laughs> like, oh, I, I don't answer the door. No plan mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, no, but I don't like that. I've lived in the place that I live for six years, and not once has a child been near me. You think? <laughs> so, you think do you think they think it's haunted? No, I you, just think that they know that there's no good candy to be had. <laughs> that's, I, but but I kind of enjoy the idea that they think of Old Man Epperson like some kind of Scooby Doo villain. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm definitely. I mean, I it's like apartment, so it's not as cool. But I'm definitely nah. the house on the ed- edge of the street that no one. No one talks to you. I only come outside to like put my <laughs> trash out. Put your wings and I on just, your like, dick, snarl, right? I snarl at everyone and go, <laughs> and they all go like, "Don't mess around with old man Epperson there. He's got wings they, on his dick. That's the rumor." And then they like, TP my house and I go postal. <laughs> postal. Wow. Yeah. I really enjoy that. I mean, Thank I'm you. new. I'm new to my complex, so I'm not allowed to be eccentric yet. But I'm I'm working my way up to it. Oh, I'm feeling my complexes, baby. I'm just a part of me, free flowing. <laughs> you're like jazzing. a gro- you're like a growth on that complex now. You've been there yeah. for years and years. Yeah, I'm you a know? complex guru. One could say <laughs> you're the one they send to for orientation. Yeah, <laughs> over here, that's the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> orientation jesus <laughs> you have a little jesus. flyer yeah that, to him. that over there that's parking <laughs> uh, we're three minutes in <laughs> yeah well this is worthwhile content uh there's no reason why we should cut this no, anyway, no reason at all no reason. Welcome, welcome to director peace theater <laughs> welcome this is uh how we're spending our hallow our hallows eve our spooky mm-hmm. time the Halloween, uh, as they say. <laughs> you have a Halloween, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Adam Ganser, and uh, with me is the bat-winged penist man himself. Abe Epperson. <sighs> the crowd goes wild. <sighs> I think I liked your bit better than you liked it. <laughs> I, think I, I, think I was really into that bit. Hey, that's good. Uh, I, I did like it. And uh, so transitioning, sadly, from the scary topics into, mm. uh, I guess, a slightly more conventional topic, uh, I wanted to talk about a movie that Abe and I saw for the first time together. Uh, can you believe it? We've been friends for <laughs> since 2011. There's only like five movies I think we both have seen together for the first time. 
right? There's not that many of those. This is the only one I can name, really. Well, we we watched a couple Edgar Wrights together, I think. Mm. Uh, I mean, I know we watched the Avengers together for the first time, didn't we? Did we all go in a group for that? You're probably right about that, yeah. Yeah, I think you are. But this is one, like, so we did not watch this in a theater. We watched this, Mm -hmm. and I want everyone to appreciate this moment. Mm -hmm. This is This is 2011. We watched this at a film school party with yeah. uh, with just some of the some of the old uh, USC alum uh, hanging out watching this classic of uh, I guess classic of the genre I don't know I don't uh, know so many drive. cheeses so many wines <laughs> as, <laughs> as you'd expect from a USC graduate program party was this, was this at Coxie's house I think it was no. right yes it yes, was at Coxie's house yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I remember that, and there was uh, there was a couple of chatterboxes. Not naming any names, but there was a few yeah, chatterboxes. Yeah, people. Yeah, people like to uh, talk about film in film school, and uh, when you watch a film, they forget that it's a it's a watching time. <laughs> yeah, I was really uh, trying to figure out what the line was for me to be like, bro, we're watching a fucking movie. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be that guy, but I also <laughs> yeah. needed it a little bit. It's uh, to be honest, it's a. Um, it's it's a fool's errand the whole concept of watching sure. a movie totally. seriously at a party, but totally. leave it to film students to try to do it. I, like I will a bunch say of that's accurate. I will say I think Maggie has figured out how to watch a funny movie at a party and it works. Mm-hmm. Oh, for uh, sure, there's ways to do it. But n- I've never had a party where we watched a real movie that wasn't like at a theater, and yeah. it was good. It was always like I'd rather be doing the party part of this. Yeah. You know, exactly. anyway, so we had a, I think we agree the, not the best beginning with this movie no. uh, and the movie, for those of you who clicked with this without reading the title is drive, drive, Nicholas Reffin's drive. Uh, Abe, you love this movie, right? <laughs> I remember at one point specifically <laughs> in the party, because uh, I was trying to follow it. I was trying to give it its credit, uh, you know, like, you know, I was trying to watch it uh uh, as you said it wasn't the ideal area but uh time and place to do it but i remember turning to you and going like is this movie supposed to be good (laughs) (laughs) i do remember that (laughs) but but just for everyone's information it was not played like a dummy it was definitely played like i I did not like Uh, this movie i hate this movie i still don't Yeah, I know you don't like it, which is great. That's that's it's fine. that's perfectly acceptable. It's fine. <laughs> uh, well, that okay. So, thank you for saying that because uh, in film school, and again, I don't, you know, I can't say what it was like in the real world in the in the Who late aughts, early ten teens. But this movie was worshipped? Question mark. Right? It's, People were losing. Like, we, yeah. there was all kinds of fluids flying out of people's bodies in enthusiasm yeah, for I this movie. Yeah, I remember one right? teacher talking about the cinematography, which I do. Can they're right? The cinematography's good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm just like, yeah, but you're just like shooting fish in a barrel of course it's gonna look good look at who you have on screen i don't know it's just like doesn't sure. mean it's a good movie ryan gosling comes with yeah, lights exactly you know what, like, like what's look that? at these faces look at these setups look at these lights all these cars it's very very yeah cool yeah well right and i think that's really it right is that it was like it, it was one of the more recent examples of a movie that had so much mm-hmm. style and was so mm-hmm. good at yeah. style 
that people confused it for yeah. substance. And that just ain't me. Right? People confuse it for substance. Right, right. That's not you. Yeah, you are exactly the opposite of that, which is a thing I yeah. love about you. Uh, I'm a little closer on the spectrum to this than you are, certainly, right? Like, uh, I'm not, I don't know how, where I land on the spectrum in general, but I'm closer to style over substance than you are, I probably. would think, right? Yeah, probably. Um, okay, well, the argument today I want to talk about is how does a good director fix a bad screenplay? And we're going to talk about that in the context of Drive. So the first thing we have to say, and I think uh, everyone is going to have to get on board with this supposition one way or the other, is Drive's screenplay is pretty mediocre, right? I would call that a not great screenplay. Yeah. Do you? How do you yeah. feel about that? Do you feel one like that's favorite, controversial? Uh, one of my favorite moments is when Gosling, Gosling Driver... Put, uh, is in a hotel room and he says, you won't be able to contact me on this phone again. <laughs> and then he throws the phone on the hotel bed and just walks out. <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> the, all right, <laughs> cool, man. It's deep. So that person's going to call that phone and you're just not going to pick up. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's what it means. <laughs> right. It, it, it's not a magic phone. You're so just you're just leaving, leaving it somewhere. somewhere. Got it. I don't know. It's stuff like that. Cool. It's very cool. It's like a cool guy's. The script is a cool guy's version of being cool, which is cool. It's like a jacket with a scorpion on it, you know? <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I love it. You're sticking your bat wing dick yeah. right in this argument right no, away. I like true, it. It's true, Yeah. It's a bad script. I mean, it's it's definitely trying to right. be cool. Uh, the I think the thing that's interesting about it is that given its lack of substance, it succeeded. For them, with at least some audiences, right? Like there was a lot of people who watched the film and thought it was super cool. Mm-hmm. And when you when you step back from this, this is like a B movie, right? This is a right. B movie about a superhero driver. That's yeah, what it is. That's yeah, absolutely right. So it's right. It's not like uh, it's not the cool slick heist film that was produced by right. Hollywood at all. It's the dumb movie that would normally be on after midnight. Except for this director is an interesting director, and so because of that, it got some indie right. cred, and also it has Ryan. Yeah, Gosling I'm glad you so, brought you that know. distinction because it's it is that, but it's also like it does get cool points because there are sequences that are legitimately cool looking, you know. Absolutely, a hundred percent. So okay, so I just want to introduce the topic of like screenplay versus director, you know, and just do some general introduction to it because I feel like people. I want to address people where I believe they are, right? So the first question, and I think it's like the core question for all movie audiences, is which one is more important, the screenplay or the director, to the finished product, right? I think that question is kind of, everybody has that question, right? And it's a question that you see debated amongst critics, and I think as an average moviegoer, it's sometimes hard to tell where the screenplay ends and the director begins, and in my experience, I don't know about yours, but in my experience, the answer to that is mostly dependent on who you, like, what position the person answering it occupies in the business, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's what I found. Like, for instance, it cracked because it was mostly writers. I don't think that they would say the director was more important to a feature than a script, than a screenplay. Do you? I mean. You think they would say that? I don't know. I think it's it's it depends on the film, right? Um, some films it's more evident than mm-hmm. others, which is why mm-hmm. I picked this one because I would say this is one of the clearer cases where the director is more yeah. important. Um, so yes, of course, it's case by case. I just think that what I'm really getting at is there's no clear answer right. to that. 
Um, in, and also, I think people need to understand that question is sort of different depending on which area of the business you mm-hmm. go into. So in television, for instance, there's really no question that the writers have a more uh, substantial role in shaping the finished product than directors mm-hmm. do. Because the writers, they write for a show for the entire season and maybe the entire series if they're mm-hmm. really good and lucky. And a director is a hired gun. They're going to come on for an episode if they mm-hmm. do well, several episodes, but that's yeah. it. They kind of do surgery. Right? I mean, like, first do no harm, you know, is their kind of approach. Right. Correct. They're not going to shape the narrative as much. Uh, sometimes even when a show's really successful, you start seeing people making their directorial debuts. Yep. Who are cast members or writers. Uh, that's how much less significant the directing role is in television. Uh, is they're giving it to like, oh, well, I guess, you know, they want to get a shot at directing. Sure, let them try it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, whereas that is not going to happen in the feature game, I would argue. Um, so feature films... Uh, the directors are much more the creative overseer, and it go it can really range, of course, as you were saying, Abe. But like sometimes the fe- the director has so much oversight that they're literally tearing the script up and making right. a new one at their whim. Right? That happens not infrequently. Yeah. Right? Um, Spielberg very famously for for Jaws, uh, they had a, the 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 movie's based on a book, which was, I guess, a pretty successful book. And he basically rewrote a script that was mostly just scenes he wanted to Mm -hmm. see. And then like took that as the inspiration for the finished script that somebody else wrote, which to me suggests like, okay, so like, uh, the first script was mostly meaningless. Yeah. It was like a safari that he, you know, like, or like a, like a, uh, (laughs) like all you can eat buffet. (laughs) Yeah. Right, it was like it was a, a a springboard, something to use for him to make the film he wants to make, and then like you know he kind of cobbles it together. Um, that's also a story I've heard about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, from a more inside baseball. Right. It's definitely like a I've Kubrick heard that story. So, well, I mean, obviously Kubrick, right? He's very famous mm-hmm. for doing that. Uh, if you watch the behind the scenes of The Shining, which incidentally was made by his mm-hmm. daughter, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, the first time we meet him, he's at a typewriter during the shoot, rewriting the script. Yeah. Like, that's that's opening what he's doing. Image. He's like, ah, yeah. I guess we'll do this today. Yeah. Opening image, Kubrick, rewriting mm-hmm. script. So, uh, now, again, there's politics to this question, but do the directors always have final say on the contents of the script? No, it depends on their power relationships, right? right? Like, so if you're making a... If you're making a jerry bruckheimer film i would guess you probably don't have final say mm-hmm. on the script i'm guessing bruckheimer mm-hmm. does uh but if you're you know i don't know david lynch or somebody like that uh certainly woody allen or spielberg or somebody of that caliber scorsese they're gonna get final mm-hmm. say right they like they're gonna make it so it's like final cut in a feature game the director may or may not have final say it just depends so this leads me to the next question, and I actually want your opinion before I say my piece on it, Abe. Do you think a film can ever really surpass the strength of the script? Uh, yes. Do you have like a good example? The of that assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Oh, great, great, Paul. Absolutely, that is a better film than script mm-hmm. for sure. For sure, I would argue Pulp Fiction's another one. Yes. Um, and I think Pulp Fiction has a good script, but the film of it is better just f- because it's people doing it, I think, in mm-hmm. part. Um, also because it's more edited. 
Uh, okay, but I do think that I think we would agree that it's rare, though, yep. right? Like a script, yep. <laughs> a, a script generally dictates the quality yeah. of the film for the most part. Um, and part of the reason is because uh, the script has often been shaped by the director's sensibility before they went into production. Yeah. Um, so, like, of course, it's not going to surpass that uh, because it was shaped by the person who made the film too. So, um, okay, so that leads us to. Drive. Now, my argument here is that Drive actually manages to transcend the material of the script, and the director, Nicholas Reffin, was instrumental in that mm. happening. And uh, I'm going to sort of argue the two different avenues through which he did that. One of them is sort of the behind-the-scenes piece about the script where he managed the script, and the oh, other cool. piece is the way that he made the film, the directing of the film, um, also is better than it looks on right. paper. Um, those are my two pieces. So, to start, uh, let's talk about how Refn treated the script. One thing I was uh, baffled by is that this script had been lying around for six years at Universal. Like they've been trying to adapt a book that this is based on for six years, and they wanted to spend sixty million dollars and cast Hugh Jackman in it, and make and make this gigantic movie right. out of it. And <clears throat> I and I can't even imagine why. I mean, he was like, I can't even imagine what that would be, which is probably baby. why it didn't happen, right? Sure, no, no, of course, I I, I understand why Hugh but Jackman. You, I don't understand million. why. <laughs> yeah, what is that money spent on? <sighs> like, where, what you know? Yeah, I'm. I'm trying uh, to think of like, I think because it's the '80s throwback, right? They want to catch the lightning in the bottle I'm, of like the like I don't know, like the Schwarzeneggers and the and the the Stallones a little bit. There, there's a there's a vibe of like Running Man, you know, like it, it's you know, yeah. like it's that speed See, and that 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 tone and that style. You're making like a true action movie, yes. Yeah. Like that's 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 your thought. It's like let's make true action movie. They probably have more chase scenes in it. I'm probably. guessing, right? And they're and they're doing real car stuff. Mm. Like they're blowing up cars. They're like so. I'm. I mean, I haven't read the original script I've, or the book, so I have no idea. But I'm guessing a lot of that got cut. Uh, I'm guessing that Refn was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. That makes sense to me. Uh, th- that's my guess. So here's what I do know for sure happened. Um. What happened for sure is that Refn got a hold of it, right? And Refn was sort of a an indie filmmaker. He'd made a film called Bronson, which is how we met uh, Thomas Hardy. Thomas uh, by Hardy. the way, that's a movie. Holy, Holy shit, shit. That's a movie. That's, yeah. a movie. that's a fucking movie. Uh, it's interesting. I, I like it a lot, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. it's a movie. Um, and Refn mostly makes art house movies in general. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. what he does. Like these weird brooding art house films. Um, so he gets a hold of it. And he's kind of the hot shit director of the moment. And he he apparently had been like having a bunch of interviews or whatever to direct various things. And Ryan Gosling calls him up and is like, listen, I want to make a movie with you. And so like <laughs> they're just like driving around in a car. Right? Like that's what they're doing. Listen what if to the music just about driving like around cars, in a car. <laughs> that's no, yes. No. That's no. what happened. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes, buddy. Yes. That is exactly what? what fucking happened. Like, I, I, in an interview, he claims that maybe some drugs were involved, but like Refn and, and Gosling are just driving around, listening to music. Refn's feeling really sad because he misses his wife, and he's like, "Man, this is the movie. Just what if we're just driving around, man? Like, really Fuck. vibing." 
you know? And Gosling was like, yeah, I'm in, right? Now, now, let me explain why that's not complete horseshit, because boy, does it sound like it complete really horseshit, does. right? <laughs> yeah, it really does. I know. And it strengthens your point of view, and I'm fine it's with fine. that. Go for he, it. He, here's, here's what makes it great. The first thing is, in making that decision, Refn's like, I'm not going to make a studio picture. Mm. Okay, which is really important for the sensibility of yeah. this film. Because he didn't make it a studio picture. He was allowed to add more of a brooding sort of cruising sense mm-hmm. to it that I think is ultimately why we mm-hmm. like it. Um, so there's that, right? And as stupid as it is, the driving around with music is definitely how the movie feels. Yeah. And it is why we yeah, like it. it. Uh, it's so long the, segments of this movie. 100%. So it... Even though that's a stupid origin for it, that totally works. Now, the other thing that's kind of brilliant about this is that Refn, because he decided not to make a studio picture, he had to make it as an indie film. But because he made it as with Ryan Gosling, he basically had a sort of shield that gave him creative freedom. Right, So he was able to raise money on the back of Ryan Gosling because he was a known commodity. And because Gosling wanted to make the picture, Refn has more say creatively in what the picture ends mm-hmm. up being. Right, so Gosling is this really key ingredient to let Refn do what he wants yeah. to do. And that's just, like, smart, that's, right? That's a savvy yeah. move. You know? Like, you listen to Refn talk, and he definitely sounds like an art house maniac. But that's, but that's two choices out of the gate that are right on. You know, like, I'm doing an indie version of mm-hmm. an action movie. I got Ryan Gosling. Yep. You're already yep. killing it. I mean... I, Again, like most projects, you know, and I mean, we know this from personal experience, getting one off the ground is hard. Making it survive the process of getting all the way to production is is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like the, what, the, the class that Abe and I shared together where we started working, uh, like where basically we worked together for the first time was a class called 546 at USC. And the sneaky... The sneaky benefit of that class is it kind of teaches you not just how to make a film in a big crew, which is what it does, but also how your movie gets torn up by the process of development and executives yeah. and opinions. And like, and it, it's very hard to make a good film in that class, I think, on purpose because it teaches you how the business works. And Refn clearly shows, like, I know how to get around that, and I kind of admire that yeah. already. I think any right? good – any director who's worth – you know, anything is someone who fights for their ideas. And also kind of knows uh, what environment they can win that fight. Yeah. in, Right. Like Refn's not going to win a studio fight. He's going to get like, he's going to get eviscerated right. there. Right. Cause he's too weird and artsy. So taking it out of that system is just better mm. for him. Um, okay. So here's the other benefit of Ryan Gosling who, you know, ultimately Ryan Gosling in some ways is, half of the reason why this is so good aside from his acting is that Ryan Gosling attracted like a legit cast. Oh, for sure. This cast like, is The insane. cast is really good. Yeah. For, and again, the budget on this movie, 16 million. One, yeah, six that's million. Impressive. So that's nothing. That's fucking nothing. Right. Like, so Gosling apparently gets like Brian Cranston and Albert Brooks and Casey Mulligan, right? It's Casey Mulligan. Uh, Carrie right. Mulligan uh, and uh, Carrie, Christina my bad. Hendricks. Mulligan. Christina Hendricks, right? Uh, and also Oscar, Oscar Isaac, Isaac, who's like, mm. kind of not a known commodity at the time, but uh, he gets all those people to appear for what must be fractions of what they were worth at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a huge get. Uh, it makes the quality <laughs> of the movie go way up. Yeah. 
Uh, also, I think casting Albert Brooks was just like a cool yeah, decision. Kind of out so, of nowhere, uh, but kind of awesome. Uh, you're also yeah, you're I agree. also forgetting. Um, fuck, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, uh, Ron Perlman. <laughs> yes, right, Ron Perlman. Yeah. See, Ron Perlman's not like uh, doesn't scan for me as important as oh, he is because right. I ha- I haven't watched all his good mm-hmm. things. But yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, so. All right, so we talked about how that gets him creative autonomy. Now, here's the interesting thing about what he does with that creative autonomy. He, and I think to some degree Gosling was involved in this, whittle the script down to an 81-page script. It's lean. They go in, they, I mean, it's real lean, mm-hmm. right? 81 pages, that's very small. Because, again, the script is supposed to be a page a minute. Like, that's what you're supposed to be making here. So this is like an hour and 20-minute movie when they went into production. And then, during production, they cut yeah, stuff. So, yeah. Apparently, they cut dramatically, <laughs> dramatically cut lines because Gosling and Refn decided, what if your character never actually talks unless somebody asks them a specific question that he must answer? Otherwise, he doesn't talk. Uh, and so, because of that, they cut another 20 pages, 20 pages of the script, uh, just from that decision. And so, they shot basically a 60-page movie. And the movie's about an hour uh, 40, right? So, it's 100 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. But it's... N- yeah. Yes. It's an hour 40. So, that would make you think this is a bad decision, right? It's like, oh, so this thing got really bloated? Like, they cut it down, but also it got really bloated with, in terms of mm-hmm. runtime. And my argument is going to be no, it did not because uh, because of the directing things that he did to keep us interested. But uh, I think you and I might disagree there. We will see. Mm-hmm. Um, I will just say this. So the argument here is how does a director transcend a bad script? Refn did the thing that you hear every single day in film school, every day, and that you hear you know uh, sort of endlessly in your film career, and that is cut dialogue. Cut it. Cut mm-hmm. the dialogue, right? Like, we should just cut dialogue. So he did that. And I would I would argue the film is definitely stronger because of it. Like, do you want to hear more from the driver than you do? Do you want to hear him talk more than he does? What do you think? Uh, to answer the question, no. I don't I don't need to hear any more out of the driver. <laughs> but, well, but, I mean, like, but again, I do that's think incredible, you're, right? You are right about the cutting dialogue and showing not telling and all that stuff and relying on the actors to play a role that is you're going to get more bang for your buck by a shot of how someone reacts to something for the audience to understand oh this is what's going on than someone to say this is what's going on um and that is smart but let's be let's let's be clear it does put an onus on the director Right when you cut dialogue, you're you're now putting an onus on the director to get a look that's clear. Right, the look's got to yeah. be clear, and it's got to carry all that information yeah. out of the actor. Now that may not that may sound like oh t- so super easy. Remember, as a director, you got to transmit that information in a way that the actor can understand and manifest, and that is not as easy as you think it is. No, because everyone's right? coming. It's a, it's from a lot easy angles and. Right. It's a lot easier to put words on a page than Mm -hmm. it is to manifest behaviors in another Mm -hmm. person. But that's the talent Mm -hmm. of directing. So that's the first. Okay. So that's that's essentially the script piece, how he managed the script. All right. So the problem is that that cutting it down creates another 
huge issue for the director, which is now the story is so simple that it's no longer emotionally compelling, right? Like there's so little to this now in terms of script and plot that it's no longer an emotionally compelling story. And I think if you just took the beats and put them on a piece of paper, like in an outline, you would say, yeah, that's right. This is kind of not much to this movie. Right? I mean, isn't that your main critique of it, Abe, ultimately? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I would say that, that that would be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a valid critique. I think uh, there isn't a lot of substance to this. Um, and there's some huge problems that are in the story because of that decision. Some of them are character problems with the driver. For instance, why is the driver a criminal at all? Mm-hmm. Why, why does he commit crimes at all? Uh, my, my question what is, is about, why is he so sad? Right. <laughs> well, is he sad is another question. I mean, like, why is he so why sad? Why is the driver, period? Why is mm-hmm. he? Like, I, I do think it's fair to be like, we don't really know this mm-hmm. character that well. That's true. Mm-mm-mm. We don't. Uh, we don't even really know what he wants. <laughs> no. Not right? until like, he's sort his of actions declare it. Which is kind of what well, you were saying. St- By cutting dialogue, you don't right. have the thing where, you know, in Act One, you usually have a moment where, you know, the protagonist goes like, God damn it, I just don't want this thing to happen anymore. I have to stop right. it. And then they go about their plan. In this one, he goes about his plan sneakily to us because he's just kind of watching and casing the joint because it's like a heist movie, True. kind of. and. So the first act one is like, he's just going about stuff and watching and interacting with Carrie Mulligan. And and then all of a sudden, ah, it's all happening. I mean, it's clear that his want before somebody asks me about this, his want is to be with this woman, right? That becomes very clear pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. And, And like, okay. And that is enough for a movie, but like, it doesn't explain the previous version of him that was sort of drifting aimlessly Mm -hmm. through life. Um, it's enough for us to leave the problem alone. And I think enough for most movie goers to be like, I don't care. That's fine. We don't know if his quote unquote turning of the leaf, like in intercut between the Carrie Mulligan sequences, um, where he is hanging out with the kid and stuff like that. We're also seeing that he is now working at the mechanics more. He's getting like a a racing career off his, uh, you know, is getting started. We don't know if his turning away from crime is genuine because he just does these I mean, things. I would argue he doesn't turn away from I crime. I mean, I think it, I think what, if you were to ask from me, I think this is much like if the, the original script was someone who is, it's like heat or something. He, he has this past where it's full of crime. He's very good, but he gets out. And then it's all cri- crime filled. Yeah. And then riddled. he's, you yeah. know, or uh, equalizer is another great example. And then he, uh, you know, he decides to for that life is over. I'm going to be good now. And then something happens where he's like, well, I have a, I have a set of skills and I can't allow this to happen. So that's like the typical, you know, criminal. Right. Arc, right. I think they kind it, of yeah. go through the motions of it, but they don't explicitly have the telling of that sequence, I guess is, I mean, that's what I'm pulling from what you're, you're saying is so that he, he took think, those all out and still gave you a compelling act one and two. Uh, that's interesting. So you, you, you see this movie as sort of like a one last job kind of movie, right? 
which is like the cliche of yeah, movies of this type. Uh, I mean, adjacent. One Last Job is more of a guy who's a criminal and he wants to get out. This is more of the guy who's already gotten out, but he's pulled back in. Right. It's Godfather yes. 3. Uh, or it's or it's Carl Reiner's character in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so th- I guess it does sort of paint broadly those strokes. It doesn't really fill mm-hmm. them in. Um, I would argue it's not clear at all whatsoever that this guy is ever going to get out of crime. Um, it's clear he's going to have to lay low. That part's mm-hmm. clear. But like, is he no longer a criminal driver? No idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, no idea whatsoever. Now. I think it's fair to say the fact that we can say that should be it should be a death rattle for this movie, right? Like like that like the fact that we don't even know for sure what the decision is that's made by this character like in a fundamental core emotional way mm-hmm. should normally be like this movie's bad. That's a bad movie. Uh but in this movie I think it still works. Uh and why? Because the director has has used some techniques to kind of bury those problems. And to overcome those problems. So I want to talk a little bit about how does he as a director sort of get us past these problems with his protagonist. Um, So the argument here is effectively that Refn creates a kind of sub, like a subtle cognitive dissonance in the audience that makes us feel like more engaged with the film. And by that, I mean, he makes us look carefully at this protagonist and want to be included. And he intentionally walls us off from the protagonist so that we feel like we're just about to understand him and we never quite do. And it's like, he sort of negs us and it works in this movie. Uh, It's rare that that works, but this movie, it does. So here's how he does it. Uh, the first way is that he almost constantly is obscuring Ryan Gosling's face in one way or the other. I don't know how many shots there are of Ryan Gosling sitting somewhere in profile, but it must be billions, <laughs> right? Like it, it might be more than there are galaxies. Yes. There's just so many shots of him in profile staring at something and you're like, what's he thinking about, yeah. man? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just so much of that. There's so really... much, so many and... times that I, I, I almost got, had a bowl of cereal so I could bring the uh, <laughs> bring, <laughs> bring the spoon to his mouth. But yeah, it's like the movie for that meme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The spoon to his mouth. Abs- this is a perfect movie for that. Uh... <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that yeah. meme. So uh, I agree with that. And I think there's a strategy to it, and that is that normally for us to identify with a person, we need to look them in the face, like specifically look them in the eyes, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. uh, it's a human Mm -hmm. thing where we feel like we know a person better when we see both their eyes and we've connected Mm -hmm. to them. I think denying us that uh, makes us, rather than sympathize with this guy, it makes us examine him more. It makes us more into sort of detectives, trying to figure out what he's <laughs> right, about. because we're constantly going and, like, what are you? Why are you yeah, so well, sad? Yes, I agree. I yeah. agree. And I think that's, I think that works in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, again, it's very rare. And like, I, I sort of infamously at Cracked kept trying to figure out how to shoot profile shots. Um, for my comedy sketches and they never fucking work because comedy plays with the face uh, in comedy sketches because you don't laugh at a person when you're not included that's why narrow eyeline that's why um, 
That's why over the shoulders. I I shot over the shoulders all the time. It's the most boring shot in yes. the world. But guess what? You ain't right. thinking about the filmmaking. You're thinking about the funny. <laughs> so right, and in a com- I mean, you could not make this into a comedy as it's shot. Right. Like that would never work. Right. Uh, it would have to be something totally but different. The, yeah. But no, the completely different people, things because you, as a director, you got to make room for whatever the thing you're the star of it, so to speak. And here you're absolutely right. Like a profile shot gives you multitudes because it's, it's disorienting. And I mean, you're probably going to go into this, so I don't need to do it, but like you're absolutely right. He's making, I mean, it's the same way that we look at statues, Mm -hmm. right? And just sort of look at them and go, huh? Yeah. Like think about them. It's like that effect, right? This angle and soak it in. So the other advantage that this thing has is that it makes us sympathize more with the people who end up being actual victims in this movie. So Carrie Mulligan and Brian Cranston, we get a little bit more connection to them. Yes. And uh, because we can connect more to them, we start to see this character the way they see him. In fact, there's a whole lot of scenes where we are like, for instance, cruising around with uh, cruising around with Ryan Gosling and we cut to Carrie Mulligan, who we get a pretty clear shot of and she's thinking about him. And so we do the same thing. Right, like, like it's sort of the the director trains us to perceive him the way others perceive him, not the way we perceive him, uh, and I think that's interesting. Oh, she so, kills it. She's the best actor. In she's this, she's very. She's good. the best actor in this movie, or at least the character is the best. Like, she has the most to do, and she nails it. That's my opinion. I think she's the easiest to see what she's doing. Yes. And like I think that helps. She's the clearest. Um, I I go back and forth with Ryan Gosling. Like just to be clear, he was up for some awards in like various acting circles for this role, which uh, I find a little surprising, but is true. Um, it might just that might be the Ryan Gosling effect more than his performance. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Um, anyway, so last the last thing I want to say about the obscuring the face thing, it makes him more than human. It makes him more than human because, again, we're looking at him like in trying to contemplate who he is, which sort of reinforces this superhero thing uh, where his motives are kind of beyond us and his goodness is sort of inexplicable. Like, why is he good? We don't exactly know. Uh, I mean, we know, but we also don't totally understand it. Like, we don't have the insight into it, um, which is pretty commonplace in superhero tropes, specifically people like, uh, you know, not Daredevil, uh, Bat- uh, Superman, you know, is the kind of person who's like, you know, what's he really about? Like, we kind of right. contemplate yeah, yeah, yeah. him more, you know? Um, so there's that, okay? Uh, so the second thing that he does, uh, and this is like, you know, pretty uh, pretty obvious, but I don't want to like, uh, I don't want to like undersell it. Uh, Refn rarely shoots anything at eye level in this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I mean by that is um, he shoots almost everything at this in this movie from an either way high looking down, a high angle, or he shoots it from a low angle, which is the more commonplace, right? Where he's oh, looking up at him like you're like I you're a five-year-old. T- <laughs> no, 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 really. Like you're, I, I didn't think <laughs> okay. about the superhero angle until you're literally yeah. talking about angles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's what this is, right? Like he's a superhero. Yeah. And so the low angle shots are... Uh, a way of sort of reinforcing the potency of this character without having to do anything else. 
Like he, he doesn't have to show us any other level of expertise other than the fact that he's good at mm-hmm. driving. And we get the sense about him. Oh, this guy can kick your ass. Oh yeah. That like, this opening guy's, this sequence, guy's really badass. He is so in control yeah. of every fucking thing. Yes. It's awesome. Correct. I mean, yeah, so it's a little bit the deadpanness with which he performs it, but the director really supplements it by like constantly shooting way under his eyeline. Now, for those of you who are not filmmakers, let's talk just briefly about what that means. So one of the fundamental dynamics of power in human beings is height. Okay, and like this comes down to childhood, right? When you're a kid, adults tower over you, so you look up at them, right? And they seem powerful. When you, if if and when you're like an older sibling or an adult and looking at a kid and you look down at them, they seem like insignificant or less powerful, right? Like you can overpower yeah, them. Same with your dog you can, or whatever. You can eat the little ones. <laughs> right, right. And it's like very, right. It's very biological yes. like that. And there's, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing, that's one of the most primal things about filmmaking that is sort of like underappreciated height. So... The fact that we're always a child looking up at this guy reinforces the fact that he's more than a man and that he is sort of inscrutable. He's above us and he's certainly more powerful than we are. It didn't um, it also didn't even occur to me until you started talking about it. A lot of the shots of when he's changing gears uh, yes. are shot from like POV the gear. So he's literally yep. manipulating us with his uh, his hand. You know, he's mm-hmm. like Okay, your world, I control this world. My hand is like a, a superhuman huge hand that is right. like right in front of your face. Yeah, it makes him larger than life. You're absolutely right. Yep. And uh, I mean, there's other, there's other characters that he also empowers this way. Like Albert Brooks in particular gets shot from a lot of low angles. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the one time that they interact before they get into their fight, like <laughs> Ryan Gosling's like, sort of like three or four feet below him on like, he's like on a, he's like in the bleachers mm-hmm. and they have to shake hands and it's very like shaking hands with God. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so not subtle that you don't think about it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, it's like so obvious that you don't think about mm-hmm. it. Uh, so, you know, it's again, power dynamics. That's a very simple tool, yeah. but it super works. And Refin is very good at it. Okay. So here is to me the most fascinating tactic that he uses to kind of, jar us emotionally um, and to sort of fix the lack of substance. Mm. So I would argue in this movie, there's basically two paces. There is uh, the chase sequence pace, which is pretty cutty Mm -hmm. and lots of like, lots of very intentional pans and stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Like the, like uh, lots of that. Uh, Okay. And uh, like reveals and things. And then there's the, uh, and he does that for all the chases, right? There's basically two or three chases and he does that for all that. Um, and then there's the cruising speed, right? Where we're cruising hell in the yeah, car. Dude. dude, if you and, could see yeah, right now, I'm just, yeah, no, dude. seriously, I'm like nodding right now. I'm like, this is my shit yeah. right now, dude. Go to work. Yeah, right. So like he, and essentially the filmmaker sets those up right away. First sequence is Cuddy. We're in a chase sequence and he gets all the way through that whole chase and gets away with it. And it's great. And then we cut to, and then we go right into music montage Right, which is like under the credits, Mm -hmm. and it's him cruising the streets in the car, right? And he mostly uses that the cruising to sort of give a sense of intimacy and to sort of send to address the idea of time passing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it the the best way that he does that is uh, when he's in the car with Irene, 
Right, and that happens very early in this film, right? Like they meet, mm-hmm. and then she has she ends up having to go to the repair shop, and then and then Brian Cranston's like, "Why don't you take her home?" Right, and then he's like, "You want to you want to see something?" And then like it's like a good four minutes of just cruising around, like cruising in the aqueduct, mm-hmm. and that's where we first hear the real human being yeah, song, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's like and it it's everything's just vibing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. That's basically the two paces of this film. Now, what's interesting is he flips them at the end. He flips them. So the first like one and a half, two acts of the movie, those are how they're, that's how they're used. And then when the movie, the tension really starts to ratchet up, he he has the only kiss scene that happens between right. Irene and the driver, and he uses the quick sort of zooming, uh, light changing, intense language right. to do it. Which and he also does it and like then there's a shootout right there. What do you think that means? So like, why invert? I think he inverts it because it maximizes the intensity of their connection. Mm. And I think I mean you might disagree with that. I think it also suggests that their connection has always been dangerous. Like it's dangerous. It's always been dangerous, and like it's the cause. It's going to create violence and danger. Yeah. I I think uh, it's um. The he grasps onto like he as a character, even though we don't really understand it until maybe this moment, <clears throat> he conquers all forms of like fear and like he's such a cool uh customer. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he, so cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's like no more thrill anymore. And the little that's why he was attached to crime, because the the little amounts of thrill, that was like the most that he could actually be motivated. Yeah. So the fact that we bring that Kind of so the fast cutting and like the more active cinematography uh, implies like a zest for life. So if he is uh, broaching new territory, aka you know a love and like he's fallen in love, um, this is a thrill you know for him, which is pretty driver centric. But I mean, so is the movie. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a totally reasonable read of this and. Uh, could also be straight up intended. Like he could have also, like he could have straight up intended mm-hmm. that uh, because this guy is definitely not expressive the way human beings are at mm-hmm. all. Uh, so it could be that like this is literally the only way he feels alive. I, I, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that. Now, my real theory here is that is is for the other, the, the opposite use of this trope, right? So not only does he invert the intensity sequence for the kissing, he inverts the cruising stuff for all the murders at the end. Yeah. Right? Like, all the murders at the end are very sort of, like, even-handed and mellow, and they don't, they're not super violent. Yeah, the elevator scene. Uh, I think yeah, of, he, like, right. kind of, he, kill, he, like, caresses Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly, and like he and pushes then, her to the bat and to the side, and then he goes to town on this dude. <laughs> well, and what about like the 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 best killing? I think is the one with Albert Brooks, and it happens as sort of a shadow dance mm. in this very like poetic way. And it's again, it's the opposite of how action movies are normally done. It's like that's the opposite way. Right. Yeah, and I think what it does is it sort of. It's like Pavlov's dog. We've been trained to feel a kind of sense of significance and intimacy with that way of shooting Uh it, that way of showing an event. And so when we see the deaths at the end sort of captured in that way, we feel like something very significant has happened. Mm -hmm. Like we feel emotional significance about it Mm -hmm. that I don't think it really has, but it fixes the script problem of it being sort of who cares, right? 
like he fixes that by sort of inverting this language and that's really fascinating to me because i don't think i can see i can't think of another time i've seen that in a movie um so essentially what he's doing is by using by training us to feel certain ways with different tactics and inverting them he's created new significance to all of those emotional experiences that on a script level they probably couldn't have achieved right he gets more out of it he extracts more that's that's my theory yeah um so kind of last point on like about the filmmaking he just really fucking crushes that car stuff He's just yeah. very good. It, like the the shot selection in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like there's yeah. all kinds of yeah. There's all kinds of stuff that's like that's probably the best I've it ever seen a like car a filmed. World. It's a whole unique world. Yeah, and and like just very creative. Like the the low angle shots. He's got a couple of side by side profiles mm-hmm. that I've never seen in a movie before. Mm-hmm. He's got like pans inside a car that I've never really seen mm-hmm. before. Like it's just. He's done really rad work in the car, and I can't speak to how, I can't say how important that is in terms of what we feel about the script, but it definitely makes us feel like we're in the hands of somebody who really knows what they're doing. It's also punctuated by Uh, several set pieces, including my favorite, or probably the audience favorite, which is the slow motion Christina Hendricks behind her, the car flipping in slow motion. What a shot. What a fucking shot. Yeah. That's the whole movie. To me, like, the day that he shot that, he must have laid back and been like, we got it. Yeah. Like, that's the okay. movie. This movie's working. Cause, yeah. Because, yeah, like, because, again, you sort of get both things, right? Where you get, like, the intensity, but you also get the intimacy. Because that's mm-hmm. an intimate shot of Christina She's Hendricks. She's in the middle of freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. She has a really interesting role. I could do a whole other conversation about that. I don't want to get too... Right. Because like, it's really weird and short. Anyway. Um, okay. So, in conclusion... Uh, I think what's happened here is that Refn used some very clever tech, like camera tech techniques, to enhance the effect of the script that he chose to create, and in doing so, sort of got around the fact that he had cut it down to nearly nothing. But even by cutting it down to nearly nothing, he avoided making a rote studio picture with this and created something that was wholly unique. And that is a successful endeavor for a director. Even if you don't like the movie, mm. I think that it's hard to deny that like he showed a lot of expertise and mastery of the craft mm. to get here with that story. Yeah. Uh, I think. Uh, beyond that, I think it's we can argue about whether it's good or not. Um, no, this is... But it's one of the rare examples you know, of being better than the You script. know what's great about this theory um, is that it reveals something like I learned something about myself in it, uh, which it's just by the way that you compiled it. And what that is, is uh, I let, I think both times I've seen this film, I've let my uh, presupposition of how I think film ought to work, get in the way of me enjoying the film. And I still contend (laughs) that uh, I'm right, (laughs) but uh, like you going through the superhero bit and that's like shit that I, I get super excited about and I didn't, and I missed it. Like I didn't even think about it. Cause I was just like this fucking shit, just get cut to the cut to the end. I'm, I'm over it. You know, like I just wasn't looking for it because of, um, how the movie like operates and makes me feel. Um, and it also revealed to me, uh, so that's that, but I also, it also reveals 
to me, I think the biggest difference between you and I as filmmakers or rather like film enjoyers, uh, film watchers, which is uh, not that it's all spectrum. So it's not that one. It's like on one side, you got this on one side, you got this. But it's just like as you were describing, like some of the better parts of the film in this, especially like with the character of the driver. Uh, what's so isolating to me about this movie, and I ultimately think that it falls on the shoulders of the director, um, clarity is super important to me. It's time mm-hmm. and time again, mm-hmm. I, it's why I don't love Lynch. I think he makes haunting, amazing imagery, and that's, uh, you know, photographers do that, you know, like he just has a bigger, he has a bigger toolkit. He has music and motion. Um, but he's not saying anything with it that I can infer, you know, because it's, it's so distant. Interesting. And that, that mystique, that, that kind of wall always feels like a magician's trick to me and puts me off. It's like saying like, I have the sight of something that you are going to have to work for. And I don't think that that's a very human thing. So that's why I think I don't, it it gets in the way of me understanding and enjoying these types of movies is because of how distancing, like when you, there was a few times that you Mm -hmm, use like mm -hmm. the distance is kind of interesting here. I don't find it that interesting, but that's all subjective. So that doesn't get in the way of your theory. I still think you are right about what it is doing. Um, it's just not for me, but yeah, I do like that you found a few, a several things that I'm like, I didn't see that before um, because I like to pride myself on you throw any 30 seconds at me. I'm going to tell you this is what's happening. This is probably what happened before. This is what's probably happening next. You know, I'm usually pretty good at calling my shot just watching you know, film grammar for, you know, since I've been alive. We all have. We're all pretty good at that. Um I totally missed it on this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I probably wouldn't have seen it if I wasn't determined to explore why I thought this movie was good. Mm-hmm. Because like the math, the math part of my brain that adds up like what a movie should be, right? Which is sort of the thing that you often operate out of. For me, that's a little analytical. So like, I I go to an analytical place when I think mm-hmm. about that. And the analytical part of me is this movie should not be good, so why do I like it? Right. Uh, yeah. And if I if I had if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't have been able to extract all this for you. Um, I will say that I do like I think it's more clear now, having watched it like I don't know four or five times, that it's clearly a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like in hindsight, it's like oh, obviously it was a superhero movie. Just- He's been underlining yeah. that the whole time. Listen to the music, even the stupid ass theme song. Yeah, yeah the, the theme song tells you that. that. It starts with like, yeah. you won't cho- change, boy. Uh, when he's doing the crime stuff and then right, it's a real right. human being and then it ends, he's a, re- a real hero, you know, like it, it has, right. uh, it has a coda, you know? Right. It's it, in, in that respect, it's like, Oh, this is kind of what I wish a lot of superhero movies would do. You know what I mean? Like just sort of like yeah. get a little more abstract and sort of like just get real intimate and do that story. Uh, I, this is a fucking great superhero movie to me. Like I, mm-hmm. I like most superhero movies I think are not good. If this one is, much better than not good. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But I do think it's fair to say, like, this isn't, this is not like Shawshank Redemption or uh, something that has like emotional punch that sticks with you. 
Like, it's not that. Like, like a good contrast, The Reformation. Did you ever see that movie? The Reformation with Ethan Hawke? No. No, I haven't. It's a great movie. It's a, So, briefly, it's, it's about a guy who's like, he's lost his wife, and he is, uh, he's like a minister at some tiny little church with a tiny little congregation, and his life is completely miserable. Also, he's got some health problems that look like they might be cancerous. He's not dealing with them. He lost his daughter. He's just, it's just like this whole mess of a life, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to make a go of it as a pastor. Then one of his congregants... Uh, his his congregate is like a married this married couple, and this guy comes to him and is just like, I don't see any point in living anymore given how climate change is. And this guy commits suicide. And so this pastor is left trying to like comfort himself and also uh, this wife, this ex-wife, like not ex-wife, but like, you know, widow, with this, like in the midst of this climate change stuff. And the more he reads the climate change stuff, the more he gets like sort of radicalized by it. Mm. Um and it's very it's very raw and it's it's also an indie film and it's very small uh but it's like it sticks with you whether you agree with it or not because it has like substance to it this movie is the opposite of that there isn't substance to it but you walk away feeling like i just saw a fucking movie you know what i mean like that's how it feels to me i mean this that's, is a cuz that's the style thing there's there's something you said yeah right. but it works I, and, I, know, and I, and I, I totally get it. I totally get it. It's the art of the cool, and it's it succeeds. Um, I do want to point out the thing you said right before when you're talking about the analysis of film, like through a kind of like, kind of rote, like clarity machine. You know, as like the kind of. It's interesting you mention that. Uh, because you kind of are saying that like that's sometimes what you do, Abe, and you're not wrong. Um, no, no, I, I'm saying I do that, uh, but I, but I think we do. We probably both do that. I think we both. Like, when like, like yeah. I said, at you know, copy paste what I said at the beginning. It's all spectrum, and we're all like not like one side right. versus another side. It's just like uh, there's an inter. So there's an interaction. So they got the the kid right, who's just. I've never seen a more constantly surprised kid. His eyes are just open all the time. And he's just like looking around and just seeing like what is going on. Like that's, it's kind of yeah. funny, uh, but it's just, like, very cute. but it's a cute kid. Cute that's kid. why, because he's got yeah. these huge eyes that are very cute. And like, it, yeah. it, it, he's the cost, you know, he's the price that like yeah. no yeah. one will ever allow to be paid. Definitely not the driver. And then you got on the other side uh, of this sequence, a scene, you have the driver and they're in the mechanic. Uh, they're in the shop, right? And it's when <laughs> Carrie Mulligan, right? And, I know the scene. You know I the know scene. It. I know yeah, the and, scene. They, and the driver. And so here's the thing with Ryan Gosling is that there's literally at the end of the movie a long shot that I'm I'm positive is like, is he dead? Is he dead? Because the whole point is yeah, that he's so it. stoic and unblinking throughout this movie that you don't know if he's a dead body or not. Right. Like, that's kind yeah. of a part of it, right? That's right. So yep. here's an interesting. So there's this interaction where he's just he's wrenching the car doing car stuff and the kid's there and it like cuts between back and forth back and forth i think it does like four times back and forth and then gosling blinks and then says you blinked and it's like here's the problem with the clarity 
it's as if he the the director is operating under the understanding that the audience knew that they were playing a staring contest. I did not. <laughs> it's little things like that that make me feel isolated. Like the th- the and here's my point. Like the scene is there to build charm and a kind of endearing morality to the driver, correct? But it's yep. It's not real. It's like a charm computer. He's like. I feel yeah. like the director yeah, saying yeah. place bit with child here, cuteness achieved, yep. move along. That's not the analysis that I'm down with. Like I don't like that. I don't like seeing the. I don't like scenes that are moved together to serve a point. It's that there's a point that needs to be served. The scene perfectly does that. So it's like this top down, bottom up kind of analysis. Right. And I think like, you pointed out the very like one of them very specifically. And I just wanted to bring up the other point that this film does have that problem, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like, I, there's a lot of moments where because they cut dialogue. Yeah. Uh, it, not only that, but that's one of the reasons. Like, you're not exactly sure what to infer from what's going on for long periods of time. But I think the director in this case is sort of not interested in like you know, you knowing exactly what it was but you sort of walking away with a general feeling about it. And so it's clear like, are you saying that 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 is forgivable or are you saying that that's likable? Like you like that. I'm not I'm not saying it's well some movies I do like it. Like for instance you mentioned David Lynch. Mm-hmm. I really like David Lynch. Right. Um but I do turn off I do turn off the expectation that I'm going to that I'm going to understand it. True. In that's, a moment to moment that's sense. That's healthy. That's healthy. Well, I, I I understand. Right. I get the. I get it. It's not healthy because you know it's supposed to be a movie. But then also, but you know that David Lynch's movies are what they are. Like if you're going in there expecting like a three act plot and for it to all hang together and it's not the straight story. Sure. Yeah. Why the, Why the fuck did you go to a David Lynch movie? That's not what he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like and I'm not shaming anybody for that. I'm just saying like, no, look, this is what the, what the does. man has gotten. Yeah, the man has gotten the blank check to do this. I mean, blank check, put that in quotes. Mm-hmm. He's been given artistic license to do it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like it. So I'm o- I'm okay with that expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for whatever reason, Refn hit all the right notes for me to relax my na- my narrative watchdog enough to soak in that sweet cool. That sweet you style, know what I mean? like, which it has in spades. It well, it has more than any movie I can think of that was trying to be like this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this movie is one of the most effective I've ever seen at cool movie. You know, I'm trying like I'm like legit trying to think of another movie that set out to be cool like this and achieved it. The Matrix. You know, uh, can you think of another one that is like this? Most of the time, they feel pretentious, right? Um. Most of the time, they end up being fucking. <laughs> what's that horrible hacker re- hacker movie with Halle Berry and Hugh Jackman? Swordfish. Yes, they right. Swordfish is to me the epitome of people trying to make a cool movie, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, like that's that's mm-hmm. what most cool movies are. But yeah. Drive is so much more successful at it than that. I guess when I think of a cool movie, I think of Dave. Dave, the the uh, is that the American president movie? Is that <laughs> yeah. what you're talking about? <laughs> I think of get, Dave. Get out of here. Get, get the fuck out of here. That's so uh, cool. <laughs> he rides a bike and everything. Uh, I know I know what you're doing. There's no button this bit. I, I like it. I have a real question for you. Okay, I'm ready. Um did you know that David Lynch has a YouTube channel that he posts daily to? 
I am aware. Yes, I also. But I'm the one who has his albums. I've ever uh, that, played you. Cra- I've ever perfect. played Crazy that's Clown a, Time for you. What a perfect detail about you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't say like I, when I say I like his movies. I mean, I like about five of his movies. I don't like everything he's ever made. Do you know what he posts? I, <laughs> is it like news reports and shit? No, like, well, what does he do? Two, he does two videos every day. Every day. And has for okay. about, how, uh, how many of them are meditation videos? None. What percent of I, them? I don't are, know. That, wow, I didn't really? look far. I just looked at the reoccurring wow. ones. He probably has okay. like meditation like videos, but like he does two oh, daily definitely. videos. And one is he talks about the weather. <laughs> by <laughs> by looking he's usually in his basement, which is improbable <laughs> because like why would you do a news report or a weather report in your basement? Because he's got these tiny windows. Like he's got one of those recessed like the basement has yeah. windows, but it's at like the ground floor. But he's looking up and he's saying like it's windy, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. It's real windy. It's out real there. windy out there. Uh, uh, and out there in the city like, of angels. But we're gonna get later in the day a lot of sunshine. And he so he right. does that. Uh the other video he does is he has a jar uh, he has a jar with uh, uh, like ping pong balls that he has written or he's had someone write uh, the numbers one through ten uh, oh on. Oh, my God. And then is this real? This is for real. And Holy shit. Uh, he puts his hand in there and he said and he, he introduced and he's like, all right. And today's number is and he pulls it out and he says, it's seven. <laughs> <laughs> or it's nine or it's 10. He's been doing this for 80 days, right? As of rec- this recording of this podcast, wow. he's done it for 80 days. What does it mean? Anybody know? Here's my what it means? favorite part. I'm not even done yet. My favorite oh part my is that someone, so I'm going to these YouTube, like, and so I'm like, who are the maniacs watching this? So I scroll down and I see what the comments are. And I laser focus onto the top comment because it's absolutely the only comment that matters. And it's like, and it's one person uh, every day. And I checked, he's done it since the beginning. Every day uh-huh. says the list of the numbers that he's chosen since the beginning, the spread, the average, which I don't know why that would be a valuable stat, but like if you were to average them, like the mean score. This is unbelievable. Uh, he, he puts like the the variance and like the, like, okay, we've gotten nine tens and we've gotten four fours. And then he uh, and then he says a few nice words about David <laughs> at the end. What Without the fuck? fail. Without fail. Every day. It's like within minutes he responds. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I just need now. I do need some clarity. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Yeah. First question is: Do we know what the limit on those numbers are? Is it like one to twenty? Is it like any number is possible? The the limit like, on the numbers he pulls out of the jar. Yeah. Like, They're do we know that it's a range of numbers? One to ten. Okay. So it is always one to ten. And okay, he always says today's number is blank. <laughs> nobody knows what it's about, right? Nobody, nobody. He, he's never said anywhere. He doesn't what this say number... if it's an elaborate, okay. like this will reveal a treasure or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> he's, he's just pulling numbers out of a jar, dude. God, I see. Now, David Lynch is a person who his films don't fit into this this podcast scope because every time he makes a film, they're basically up for awards of some kind or the other. Sure. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't fit. But holy shit, could we have a time 
talking about straight story or about sure, you know, man. Uh, <laughs> like, like we're yeah. gonna ha- there here's the thing is that podcast is the same every fucking time because we're just never gonna agree about it i'm just gonna be no i'm I gonna know. just yeah, make yeah, fun I, of yeah you think lynch it sucks for I being it. lynch because it's not that i don't admire that lynch is lynch i i'm not like a lynch hater i want to be very clear i do not dislike lynch I just don't understand him and that makes me scared. I don't know. It makes me it makes me it doesn't make me want to watch his movies. That's for sure. I don't know. And maybe this is You're the person you're the person who get the genuine scare out of those fucking bunny masks and shit from Inland Empire. No, not uh, at all. Well, David okay. Lynch, if you were to wear a David Lynch mask, I would definitely run for the hills. But uh David Lynch David Lynch is effectively a Midwesterner who's just been like just poisoned with sorrow right yeah. like just he's just and poisoned with sorrow and set the, loose on the streets of los angeles and the result is impossible that's what's yeah. fascinating <laughs> <laughs> he's an impossible human and we all need to watch because god love him keep doing your yeah. thing i would never change a thing about david lynch no how but could i'm you? not gonna no, no. write a thesis on him so i'm i would in this podcast that is not gonna happen or maybe will happen i don't know uh, i will be very clear that i will have only one unwavering opinion and it won't be interesting it will just be like this is weird <laughs> <laughs> Why are we doing this? I mean, so I would, I would, if we were going to ever do a podcast about David Lynch, it would be Mulholland Drive, because uh, that's yeah. one, that's one of his only weird movies that I think you could make a case hangs together. Uh, oh, I love this shit out of Twin Peaks, but it's because he's working in a uh, he's working in a, a format. TV format, so he has to answer stuff and be clear. But he doesn't really. That's what's, uh, that's he, when you rein yeah. him in. That's why, like Elephant Man, these are the films that he probably will never be remembered for because there's someone who can just do it better and it's just not Lynchian. Uh, but this is I th- when I think I, he's at his best because I'm like, oh, fantastic. I can understand. I, there's some people in the world who are just sort of given permission to be one eccentricity uh, for their entire life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, not to not to make this completely political, but I would argue President Trump has basically been that, right? Like he's <laughs> sure. been allowed to be one eccentricity his whole life and it's gone this way. Right. David Lynch has been allowed to be the scatterbrained horrific artist his whole life and like so when you talk about all that stuff that he's doing it's like yeah man have you ever seen an interview with him about his movies yeah of they course have to, like, i have to watch every single one they're constantly cut together because you can't get a coherent thought out of the guy yeah i love it like he, i love it i do too i also really like it I don't know. I don't know why. Like, I'm not sure if it's like it's groupthink or whatever. But like, I'm into his fucking weird ass thing. And maybe that. Maybe this goes back to what you're saying. Is sort of like I am a little bit more willing to give license to an interesting artist, mm-hmm. uh, even if clarity's not there. Because I I've also watched like four or five Reffin films. None of them were as good as Bronson, including Drive. Interesting. Uh, Drive was closer to Bronson, and then they've all been much less good i would argue okay but i still kind of think he has something to say like i still think he could make a movie one day that's like oh my god right like a lars von trier kind of movie you know mm-hmm. i could totally mm-hmm. see that happening oh um, uh, yeah 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 i bet i mean yeah i, I can don't see know it. if it will it's just i don't know he, if it will right it's got to be the right story that he just laser focuses onto the right thing yeah, yeah like, like i don't he shouldn't make pop movies like i think drive is <clears> as poppy as he's ever gonna get you know, like yeah, I don't think he's ever gonna get more popular because it's that. his version of an action movie, which is well, like fucking as awesome. Pulp as it gets, yeah. right? 
But I, but like, admit this. Admit this to me. Wouldn't you rather watch this movie than most action movies? Mm, that is a good question. Most action movies. Mm-hmm. There's definitely better action movies. I'm not saying it's the best thing ever made. Yeah, but it's I mean better than most action movies. Most it's also action better movies than most in like the nineties. I would say no. I'd rather watch. Yeah, that 90s. was the golden era, though. Yeah, that was the golden but era. Of most action, movies, action movies, like even middle of the pack, nineties. But most action movies like, now, like Con Air, are like pretty like okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, because there's something that's hard for me, which is um, okay. For example, in Drive, uh, yeah. forty-two minutes in, we see a bloody Oscar Isaac, which implies a yeah. darker plot that's happening. And yeah. up to that point, there's been very little. Uh, we haven't seen any main character conflict. About 50 minutes in, the driver steals a car in order to help Standard, a.k.a. Uh, Oscar Isaac, rob banks. So he only makes an action, which is how the movie telegraphs to us, oh, he's got a plan. 50 minutes into the movie. That's less than 10 minutes shy of the midpoint. So even by its own standards, that's why I said up early, like it's clear that they rooted out sequences from the movie in order to build time for the style because they like that act one typical, you know, action movie thing. I must stop this man. You know, there's a statement. There's, there's usually we, we get into the thinking of the conflict, the inner conflict and the decision-making process of the main character. Since we cut that all out, um, you 50 minutes in and you still don't necessarily know what your driver is doing. Uh, but then, you know, the last 50 minutes of the movie fucking rules uh, because that's what we're doing. Yeah. And I don't know if I like, I don't know if I like, wait, 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 wait. And here we go. You know, it's just like, that's a f- weird form to me. So, th- so when you ask me like, would you prefer to watch? I was like, well, the last 50 minutes, fuck yeah, this movie fucking rips, but, but the first 50, no, is that worth the price of admission? I don't know. Yeah. They don't really have, anything between the first chase sequence and all the way till convict husband gets home like nothing happens that's tension driving Mm -hmm. right no at all it's all just getting to meet carrie mulligan getting his life back on track you know uh, that's what I think is happening in the 40 minutes yeah. of the movie and a- after the opening sequence where, you know, he's driving. I mean, it's, what's interesting about it is like, I would argue that, how would I describe this? So like the, the first act is over once he starts the relationship with Carrie Mulligan, right? Like once the relationship starts, that's when we're on a like. Basically, I think I would say like, that would be the uh, yeah bridged new you wanna, yeah, act one. You want to see something, right? As soon as he says you want to see something, we're in the yeah, we're yeah, in the yeah. second act, right? Yeah, I'd say so. so. We're in, we're in the second act, and then like normally in most movies, Oscar Isaac showing up would be the midpoint, mm-hmm. but it's not in this movie. It's in not. this movie, the midpoint is he's dead, and they yeah. have to, and now he's on the run. Yeah. Right. He wants to help out the husband to help out this woman. And now he's on the run. Yeah. Right. And so the last half of the movie is like him doing what he needs to do to like keep her safe and also like end this vengeance quest that he's been a part of. It also creates like just once again to put on the structuralist hat. It feels like it creates a lot of like a lot of the signposting that happens. And I guess 
that's a word sometimes people filmmakers i don't know if the signposting is that a term that people have heard i don't know but you can define it signposting is like when you are clearly signaling at every turn like over clarification over clarifying what's occurring with the story uh and it's in movies it's done by words and actions either uh and with like the albert brooks character um he him signposting how much he's like i gonna kill this guy i'm gonna kill people and ron yeah, right, perlman right. being like you just come in uh driver because we gotta I murder think he's you worse yeah i think he's worse about that than albert brooks is right but yeah he is and but all the signposting that kind of happens because i think they clear they wanted to make overtly clear villains because their protagonist wasn't so don't you feel That's like scenes where brian cranston dies like it's a foregone conclusion yeah, it's like, very fatalistic. Why have that scene? Why not just have him arrive at the like the shop and he's just he's 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 dead? <laughs> you know, like I, you know he's gonna come at all of the people. We don't need to see the scene with Brian Cranston where he's like, "Hey, oh, I'm leaving. I was oh, I heard that he might be going to Belize or Mexico or something." And you know, like there's this whole interaction, and it's just like, I think, why? I think it. Well, I mean, my argument for that would be. <laughs> I mean, you're right in terms of, like, again, the logic says you don't need that scene. Mm-hmm. But first thing it does is it makes that straight razor into a thing. Yeah, right? which, which is, is just like that, cool. Because he has that this velvet red, box. Right. It's an excuse 100%. to make Albert Brooks like a killer of some yes. note. Totally uh, agree. And I don't and the think way he that does that's it, cool. That's not cool. He's like, <laughs> that, right? The way that he does that is very memorable. It's, uh, like, that's it. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's it. That's it. Right? When he kills it. Like, that's that's interesting. Yeah. But the other thing is, Brian Cranston's one of the only people in the movie. Like, Carrie Mulligan and Brian Cranston, and to some degree, Oscar Isaac, are basically the only people in the movie. Right. Everyone else is, like, an archetype. Yeah. Um. So you can't not kill him. Right? I mean, I think you kill him. You may, like, do the promise. Your characters are, you know, monsters. They're villains. Uh, so he should die. I just don't need to see that scene because like I said, all the signposting, all the clear over clarification that they have to do in the second half of the movie makes it okay. Oh, we have a scene where Brian Cranston dies is like basically as soon as I sh- saw a shot of Brian Cranston, I was like, I bet someone's here and I bet Brian Cranston's going to die. <laughs> well, so again, I, and some, I, I think both you and I have the challenge in front of us for basically the rest of our lives. Like, whenever we watch a movie, we have to ask, when I know this, does everyone know it? Because, like, I'm not sure that we always have that instinct about what the audience Put in the comments. Anticipates. <laughs> right, fair, Dude, right, fair enough. So there's <laughs> that, right? But But yeah. the second thing is that, like, I do think... I think part of the reason it feels like a signpost is that there's so little other melodrama with dialogue and stuff in the movie at all Mm -hmm. that it really sticks out as being Mm movie-ish compared to the rest of it. So, like, I don't know how much it's like like a point, 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 look at this, look at this, right? It's not like, this movie's not lost in translation, right? Where, like, every single beat of it is sort of this muted thing that's never stated. That's, like, it's a caper movie ultimately yes so it does feel like signposting when they do clear dialogue driven beats i don't know if it's a that's a cinematic sin so i don't know if cinema sin should get a hold of this you know what i mean fair enough 
I just I think mean, that it's just a debate. Albert a debate. Brooks putting a razor in a velvet box with his other weird knife, knives yeah, he presumably was, kills people with. That's yeah. I mean, I know what you're doing. You're putting scorpions on jackets, but uh, right. I don't know. If, I don't know if Albert Brooks is the cool Scarface that you want him to be. I, well, I but I do think that was kind of a creative choice to yeah, make somebody who's not that. Yeah, they they're like, let's get Simpsons Albert Brooks, <laughs> right? But like, he did fill the part. Like, he did fill it. It wasn't like he was like Steve Buscemi, who's like definitely not the guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, like it's not an undercast. It was like more it's just a, sort of a creative cast. It's like adjacent, and that that adjacent shit. I get that. It's also why I don't like mumblecore because it's like you're not even doing the antithesis. You're doing like some weird like riff that i don't understand right you're playing the tropes but sort of doing it in this half-ass way yeah, you're going you assume over here because i didn't expect that and i'm like i don't give you points for doing shit that i don't expect like i don't expect you to like come to my house and murder me that doesn't make it a good impulse right. yeah <laughs> i don't expect you to make my finger twist it around and, and like beckon at me i don't expect yeah, that i don't you expect, could uh, you could though you could do it but i mean you know? that's that's why movies that's why we love movies because that's we can, why movies that's why movies guys <laughs> uh, uh i don't know it's such a, this is such a subjective film because when as you started it you talked about like how hard it is to make a movie and this guy clearly has an understanding of what the star of his movie is and by star i don't necessarily mean ryan gosling although that's true although yes it's, the star is the style it's the cinematography it's the way in which the approach the, the editorial approach and the directorial stance that this guy takes in accomplishing this movie and it's it's done uh, unilaterally and beautifully in a fashion. And that beauty is entirely upon the eye of the beholder. Sometimes people like the beauty of movies because it's like a great chess game. Other times people love it because the color palette makes you feel exactly what you feel at home in the movie. Um, and I think that that's the beauty about movies is that no one's right. No one's wrong. They just are stories. So agreed, and I think this, it, well, it resonates or it doesn't. It speaks to you or it doesn't. <clears throat> well inv- investigated, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Uh, it's always I, I enjoyed this conversation uh, much more than the one that we overheard while we were watching Drive for the first time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if those people are listening to this podcast, we didn't forget. We did not forget what you did. But we love you. We did not forget. We, we do, do love, love you. you. We do love you. We love you very much. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let's do another. Hey. Let's do another episode, which will sure. probably come up before this one. I don't know why I'm saying these things. This doesn't matter to people, but I think they. I think it does. Behind the curtain, we're gonna record another episode right now. Ooh, yay! Uh, thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!